on today's episode of Adventure Rider Radio we are going to talk with two people that have taken adventure riding to the extreme. To the point where the adventure becomes everyday life. And perhaps they have crossed into a zone in which few have traveled. And where return is uncertain. You are about to enter the adventure twilight zone. today's episode we're going to speak with lisa and simon thomas they've been riding their motorcycles for 13 years around the world i'm jim martin this is adventure rider radio stay with us we got a good one for you Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They have 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's www.CyclePump.com. Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hedstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lanfield. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tart. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Russ. Jeremy Creaker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Hi, this is Zenith Irfan, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. So if you own a Triumph, you'll want to listen up to this for sure. Back in 1963, a company started up. It's still going strong in the U.S. It's called Hermes, and that's H-E-R-M-Y-S. And www.hermes.com is the website. They've got an online store. They ship parts all around the world. It doesn't matter where you are if you're listening to this. But get this. You don't have to be a Triumph owner necessarily because they also sell motorcycles, and they'll give you a $500 credit for motorcycle shipment. You've got to look at this. www dot hermes.com and again that's h-e-r-m-y-s they have a, a triumph online store that you can go to as well triple w dot triumph e store just like it sounds triumph and then e store.com where you can buy parts and they're shipping these parts around the world they're getting great reviews from people who deal with them now get this if you use the code ARR, which you definitely want to do anytime you're ordering from them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. But that code ARR for Adventure Rider Radio is going to get you 10% off 
plus free shipping to 48 states. That's pretty amazing. It's a mom and pop shop. You phone up, you deal with real people who treat you like a friend. www.hermes.com. That's H-E-R-M-Y-S.com. We're about to enter the adventure Twilight Zone, a world where life marches to a different beat, where an 18-month motorcycle trip has no ending, and where two people have adapted to being earth wanderers without hardly noticing it was happening. They're exploring new places, meeting new people, and gaining new friends everywhere they go. Lisa and Simon Thomas set out way back in 2003. Now, that was before Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman did their long way round trip. They're riding their motorcycles from place to place, camping from a tent, and most of the time, they're just living on the road. Now, they've been on the road for 13 years, and they either grossly underestimated how long it would take to do their trip, or they've entered the adventure twilight zone. I'm speaking with Simon and Lisa Thomas from To Ride the World, who I spoke to over two years ago, and I actually checked to see when it was that we spoke. And last time I talked to you two, you were hunkered down, sweating like stuck pigs in a small box in Mexico. Is this that accurate or am I exaggerating? That that was a a lovely description, and it brings back (laughs) such wonderful memories. Jim, you've got a better memory than my wife, and that's quite intimidating. (laughs) Simon and Lisa, welcome back. Hey there. Nice to be back on. Great to have you here. Now, I've managed to contact you at a time where you've you've just finished the show. Tell us about that. Well, we've just had um, four days at the AIM Expo in Orlando, Florida. And um, that's why our voices might seem a tiny now, bit different. You're doing this whole female sexy Barry White thing that <laughs> I am kind of digging right now. Uh, if we have to go, it's because he's jumped me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have no response to that. So yeah, no, we're we're in Orlando. We're in a little hotel. Um, Cena, um, the communication guys, asked us to bring the bikes down onto the stand. Uh, we've just ridden up to uh, Alaska Prudhoe Bay, um, and this may surprise a few people who had all presumed we had done the Canadian Yukon Alaska thing. This was our first time, uh, and our plan was to ride up to the most northerly point in uh, North America and the most southerly point. So we were heading down to the Keys, and that's where we'll be tomorrow. And Cena said, hey, um, the uh, AIM show's come around again. We helped launch your bike uh, last year at the AIM show. You're still on the same bikes. Great. Could you could you drop by? So we had four days just talking about our journey and talking about so- Baja Alaska at the AIM show at the Convention Center. Convention Center, yes. Yeah, so you've caught us taking a day's rest because my feet were killing me after four days of standing. And um, we're in the um, hotel that uh, Cena put us up in. And we've just been lounging about in bed all day. It's been quite nice. So, uh, so I mean, so this is, this, is the, this is how hardcore we now are. Well, I think as far as an interview goes, I think the other one would have been more real, you know, because cause now you've been removed from your environment and you're stuck in this this prissy little place and you're you're being pampered. <laughs> it's, it's not hey, reality for you guys. Netflix. <laughs> real adventures gorge on Netflix for three hours, apparently. <laughs> I, was, I, fin- I finished up writing an article this morning morning at about half past three and I thought okay I'm, I'm done 
And then the plan today was to go out, check over the bikes, maybe even go for a short ride. Um, we've had a bit of rain. So like any real, true, hardcore adventure, we, we stayed just in bed and watched Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> oh, there goes the reputation. <laughs> So back over two years ago, you were in Mexico. We talked about a whole bunch of things there. Yeah. Some of which was, you know, what you were going to do. And, and, and I sort of chuckled. We talked about this before we started this interview about how much longer you were going to be on the road. And, and I'm going to cut right to that question because I'll bet it's one of the, the most commonly asked things you get when you bump into new people. But I think at that time you were saying a couple of years or something like that. And it's, now we're a couple of years. Cancer. It's now it, Yes. It's our stock answer. Anybody asks, oh, a couple more years probably. So somebody asked me, uh, it was five years ago, and one of the guys did come up at the show, and he said, oh, I saw you. You were doing a talk at one of the dealerships. Um, and at that time, I think that must be eight years ago when we did a talk. Our very first on, time in the U.S. Yeah, very first time in the we U.S. We came through South America. Yeah. And we did some talks on the East Coast. And this guy said, well, I saw you at one of the dealerships um, on the East Coast eight years ago. And you said you'd probably be on the road a couple of years. More. More. That was eight years ago. So now I will say probably a couple more years. I know this is going to sound slightly philosophical, but... <laughs> We have to be very careful with our answers because our lives are so outside of the norm that we can end up being entangled in very fun but very long conversations because as we spoke as we spoke just before the interview started officially this stopped being a journey for us in in terms of it had a beginning and it has a specific end. Um, there's no house in the UK. There's no security. We're on the road and it's now become our lifestyle. But if you try and describe that as I've just done um, here, you can almost see people's heads explode. Um, nine times out of ten, our experiences, unless you give somebody an answer that they can somehow wrap their heads around, compartmentalize, understand. The conversation ends up being just a one-sided set of questions that come at us like machine gun fire and three hours later you're still answering the questions and they're still fascinated and although that's lovely, identifying that yes there's some parameters and will be done in a year or two just seems to be an answer that people go wow that's that's, yeah. that's a long time but okay cool happy with that it's almost like oh yeah i can understand that um but it it's it's almost like it's acceptable a couple yeah. of years is acceptable but when you say 13 years Oh, well, that will make it 15 years. Oh, that's a nice number. Oh, okay, that's fine. It, and then yeah. and then they imagine you're going to go back to the UK. and Into a nice little house. And, and, well, it's almost like you're asking about the universe. You say, you know, well, there's nothing yeah. in the universe. Well, when you get to the end, what's after that? Well, there's nothing. But okay, if there's nothing, I see that. Then what's after the nothing then? <laughs> you yeah. know? It's like yeah. you just it, can't it's quite... Endless. Yeah, you can't compute, you know, and that takes me back to the intro that I did the last time we talked. I talked about that, about what happens if you stay on the road and you're sort of indefinitely on the road. It's no longer a trip. And, you know, it's one of the questions I want to get to now. But I I think what I first want to ask you guys uh, right off the bat is what do you guys do? Oh, that's simple. (laughs) Same as last time, whatever I'm told. (laughs) I'm just following Lisa. Remember, the, remember last year? It's, it's Lisa rides the world. Simon's the bike bitch. Heavy lifting, valet parking. Right. Um, and my stock answer is: otherwise, you've got to do that. Otherwise, there's no point to you. Yeah. 
Yeah, same, same answer. What do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Um, um, well, we, we again, I keep on harking back to the show because it's so fresh in the minds about the questions. Again, oh, it must be lovely to be retired for so long, not having to work. And we always smile <laughs> at that one because we work all the time. It's like having a an how many office. Peop- how many people at the show came up to you and said, hey, you guys, you guys have an awesome job. How do I get paid to do what you do? Yeah. And I would say... We don't get paid. No one's paying yeah. us. If you can work it out, let us know because I want that job. It's it's one or the other. Oh, it's lovely to be retired or, oh, it's lovely to get a job like this. Um, we it, are literally either riding, either. We are either riding the bikes yeah. or in front of the laptop uh, going through videos, or the pho- camera. photographs, cameras, uh, trying to back up the catalogue of the journey or just wrecking our brains trying to work out okay, how do we pay for the next tank of gas? And I sound like a broken record because I was saying this five years ago. I was certainly saying it two years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not easy. If you, you ask any any traveler that's been out there for a while, normally you can set off on a 4x4 or a couple of motorcycles and you may have enough revenue to sensibly have an amazing time for the first couple of years. Um, but once that goes by um, – the cost, don't, the cost of traveling don't decrease. Um, so it's, it's a constant battle to, okay, well, you know, we, uh, we have these two amazing new machines. We look super shiny. We've got new a new uh, riding kit. The bikes, Lisa's got this brand new 800, brand new 1200, and we are utterly spoiled. Um, the, the sponsors that have taken care of us in terms of building the bikes, they said, guys, what do you need? And it was there. It, it's incredible. But if we if we're not able to generate some some kind of uh, revenue, um, they then just sit there pretty. They're paperweights, and that's that's the ongoing battle. So quite literally, this morning I, I closed my eyes at half past three because I'd missed the deadline for an article in the mag, in a magazine in the UK, um, and I, I had to get it done because that's mm-hmm. that's how we're that's how we're doing things. It's um, it's a, it's a, a big stress, I think. It's one of those – I mean, it's like everybody. They all have that same stress. How am I going to uh, get enough money in to pay for my broken washing machine? Or, or my kids through my, my school or the insurance. Whatever it vehicles. is, everybody has the same stress, not enough cash or any cash Or just in. not enough hours in the day. Yeah, to make it. Um, so we're constantly – when we're riding, we're thinking about the shots or the um, the uh, taking the video and, oh, if we're taking the video, then we've got to make sure that we shoot it in a particular way so that it's easier to put together. Um, we, just finished, we just finished the calendar, uh, this year's calendar or to the 2017 adventure calendar. Um, I mean, we, we, we're now on our – I think this is our ninth nice. year, ninth year of calendars. It's- but that should have been out three or four weeks ago. I finished it yesterday, yeah. um, and we put it onto our online store um, literally an hour or two ago. Yeah, so it's always, um, it's always to, something. Always trying to figure out something um, to bring in the money. Um, I don't know. We we seem to be able to eke it out, don't we? Over the years, yeah. we don't have a a plush lifestyle, and a lot of people would definitely not want to live how we live. The amount of people over the last few days, oh, I wish I could do what you do. Now, we just came past Lake Superior in Canada, and for the two days we were skirting the lake, 
we I did not see the lake once. We just had two days of riding. Terrific Both were rain. 12 to 14 hours of low cloud and rain. Heavy I did rain. not see the lake once. And I was thinking to myself, boy, right now I sure wish Toyota or Land Rover would sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a shame because that is a gorgeous area. There were some beautiful camp mm. sites you rode right by. I know. Thanks for rubbing that in. Thanks. <laughs> well, I, mean, I can send I'm, some photos. I've got some from just this past <laughs> summer, some gorgeous camp spots there right on Superior. I've got to be honest, though. We got insanely lucky. So we, we, went, we went down to um, the southern tip of Baja. We absolutely loved riding in Baja because although when we spoke to you last time, we were in mainland Mexico, Lisa and I had never been to Baja or Alaska until this year. So we went and down that, on the new again bikes. Was a, that again was um, not so much Baja, but Alaska was a financial concern because things aren't cheap up there. So it was one of those, well, we will do it, but we know absolutely we have to have some cash behind us to do it, which is why we've never done it. We, yeah, we were insanely lucky. We had great weather down, down there, awesome riding. I mean, Lisa and I love rocks, desert, cactus, sand, because they're a little bit strange. The bikes did great, but the ride up to Alaska, up to Prudhoe Bay, we had spoken to quite a few friends who had done this ride. I mean, 150, 200 riders a year make the, the pilgrimage up to Dead Horse. And we'd heard some pretty bad horror stories, and it's the worst road in the, in the world, and it's, it's dangerous, and oh, wow. And we... The riding was not technical, not by our standards. Um, it was a the, bit slippy. What, are, what, are the, um, what was it called? Road diarrhea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had some road <laughs> diarrhea. Not, not us. The road was having but it. the landscape, the mountains, the vistas, the views, um, Attigan Pass. I, so I, don't, beautiful. I, I don't understand why more people aren't raving about it. Uh, it was it was stunning. Dead Horse uh, as as an oil field was fascinating. Uh, but on what the, did on I the, read? The ride down was that great. It was uh, it was a cross between um, um, a Stalinist uh, Russia and Mad Max. From the outside. From the outside. It's very utilitarian. Then you yeah. go into the buildings in some of the hotels where the, where the guys are working and uh, and getting fed and staying. And it's just like being in an Ikea catalogue. And all the guys up there, they were so nice, all the workers. Um, they all stopped and they talked and they came and we had uh, people sitting at the table chatting but we to heard, us. Hang on, you, am I, am I, we'd heard horror stories about, well, oh, Simon and Lisa, you, you won't have been anywhere like this. Be careful of the truck drivers, they'll run you off the road. They were fine. We did not have, in fact, the politest drivers up there that would generally pull up, slow down, were the move truckers. over, were the truck drivers. And the guys that would express in the road crap intentionally were the guys in the 4x4s. We'd heard the same thing about crossing Australia, you know, looking out for those gigantic road trains mm -hmm. where they're, they're, they'll, they'll just run you off the road. These guys, these are, these are professionals. They were honestly the most courteous drivers yeah. out there. And I would, I mean, what the, the first week, in Alaska and the Yukon, mm -hmm. we knew one thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've got to come back and we've got to come back for longer because the riding is spectacular. Yeah, we didn't do all of the, what I wanted to do, all the little additional side roads that we could have done and just go off into the middle of nowhere. You, because, but you could spend five years yeah, up there just riding the, the, the small we dirt trails. We mm. knew we had a restricted time period and we were running a tiny bit late uh, getting up there, which worked out fine for us because um, being later in the season, we didn't have a problem at all 
wall with bugs and mosquitoes. Like everybody said, oh my God, you're going to be eaten alive. Are you going to tell Jim about the highlight of the trip though? And then because we were later in the season, cold nights, good night's sleep in the tent, etc. And sunsets. And sunsets. Mm. So we had the opportunity to um, experience the Aurora Aurora Borealis. Borealis. Amazing. I mean, we've we've seen this stuff on National Geographic and on TV, and 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 we'd hoped, we'd hoped to get a small glimpse, Um, but we rolled into Dawson City, and we were going to be there for one night. We ended up being there for three. There were three incredible uh, nights of the most dazzling light spectacle, Um, and and seeing it in person, it was just like looking up at a at a Harry Potter uh, special effect in the sky. You can see we're still enthusiastic about travel. <laughs> it's it's interesting. When I asked you guys what you do, you didn't really answer it. And, no. and, I, and I'm sort of curious. Now, let me just put this out there. Did you not answer it because it's difficult to uh, to give an answer or to explain a concept that generally people don't understand? Is is that part of it? I don't, actually, I don't think we understand it. I mean, Which is why we didn't answer <laughs> Well, that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering, is it that you don't really, you know, like you haven't ever defined and and not that you have to, not that anybody really has to, but it seems such a common thing for us nowadays to say, what do you do? I do this. And, and you don't really have a definition. You certainly don't have an elevator pitch for what you do. Do you know what? I think it's maybe I didn't understand the question. Mm. And what, what do you do? I mean, the simplest answer is we we breathe in and out. We, we try and absorb as much of life as we, as we can. We try and appreciate every second. And these are all nauseating and cliche. And then we, and then we sit back and, and we think about where we're going to go next. And then we're on the laptops or but taking a photograph. I think you have, I have heard you say in the past when somebody says, oh, so, so what, do, what do you guys do? And you often say, well, I ride, I ride a motorbike. An obscenely large motorcycle to silly places, yeah. try and kill myself and share it. Yeah. And people go, oh, oh. okay. <laughs> I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I did give that answer jokingly, very flippantly to somebody. Um, this is probably a, a year ago. Yeah. The question was, what, what do you do? Or it was something like that. And so I very flippantly answered, well, I, I, we ride these obscenely large, heavy motorcycles to places that you really shouldn't ride bikes this big and this heavy. Um, we we, we battle we battle through deserts twenty seven at the moment, and we come out the other side probably the better people for the experience, and then we try and share it. And I and this and this this really was quite a flippant answer, but I remember at the time going, "Wow, that seems to have satisfied the person answering the question." <laughs> oh, okay, I can get my head around that. I've seen that kind of thing on TV. That makes sense. On to the next question. Yeah, it makes me wonder if it's sort of like you know if you if you talk about somebody who's a millionaire, maybe they've been born into money. And listen to them try and relate to what the common people feel or, or what they experience. They don't have a clue because they've, they're not there, you know. And it sort of makes me wonder if you guys aren't so far out there in what you do that you really, you don't see it the way other people see it. Because I think that's the I first thing right. people do when they yeah. walk up and they see you. They think, well, how does this work? <laughs> you know, like, hey, tell me how you do your job. I, I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, least, least and I have had four days of of people coming up to us and looking at the bikes and if I had a dollar for every time somebody has said to us oh wow you guys are here I've been following you on the website for one year five year ten years and and it's taken a long time for Lisa and I to uh, 
pretend to be completely uh, comfortable with this fact that they people seem to have put us on this on this pedestal that we're really not on. I mean, the bottom line is, guys, we're just riding bikes a long way, and and it's 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 for us. It's very funny to have somebody recant um, a synopsis of your traveling life the last thirteen years. I had the guy come up to me and do that. Oh, what about this time when you were, you know, you were in Africa? Oh, and you and, said this and, and you, you did said that. this and they'd been reading stuff online and they'd followed some articles in magazines. I was just happy that somebody was reading it. Yeah. And it was <laughs> it it was very strange. It was almost um like watching a a film and recanting to somebody, oh, did you see that film yesterday when that person at the beginning did this and then it it was it was like hearing about somebody else's life because he was remembering all the exciting things and the stories and the but bad think, things that had happened I think, to us. I think and, Jim's right. I, I, I think I think there is a very real possibility that we're just a bit out there. We're just we're just so far detached. And although we although we love traveling, I think maybe we do take what we do for granted because both Lisa and I genuinely genuinely are just slightly stunned as to as to the response we get from people who are going oh my god wow and we said look anyone can do this obviously this is the same conversation as a couple of years ago and you speak to anyone that's been on the road for six anyone months or six years it. and as long as you're willing to make the sacrifices and and the, and the commitments and you have a plan and you want to see it through obviously if you have a family it is different um but it's it's a logistical exercise. It's it's breathing in and out. It's going through life. It's hoping at the end of each day that you've made more good decisions than bad ones. Um, no, you often make bad decisions. But, but there's Do been I? a lot of travelers that have gone out and done a similar thing to what you've done, only not near as long. What happens is they go out on a trip, they start the trip, they say, this is fantastic, I love it. How do I do this for a living? Or at least how do I stay on the road? Why are you guys so successful at it that clearly, you know, it's a way of life for you now where others had to sort of pack up and go home and go back to their job? Well, I don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a stock answer for that. That's interesting. Um, when you I say don't know that we are that successful. have to pack up and go back to a job. Um, there comes a point when this journey, when you start out, when anybody starts out on a journey like this, that it changes from being vacation, holiday mode, to your life on the road. So you don't always do the, the, the touristy elements. I mean, we, we had some stuff up in Alaska that I really wanted to do, but we couldn't because we couldn't afford it. But we knew we couldn't afford it. And we went for the experience of the, the roads and to meet the people and to live a very um, basic a couple of weeks up there. Um, and we, I guess I it think, depends. I guess I think it depends what you want out of life. Because you went back at the beginning of this conversation, you, mm -hmm. you said you, you recounted Jim's words, which was "have to go have back." Have to go back, and I, I think there comes a time when you only, people, ha you only have to go back if you're not getting out of your life or your journey what you hope. Or, so they're going back to or, earn more money to do something else. Yeah, I guess. to earn more money. So a lot of people will stop to go back to earn more money. Yeah, but you'll have and to stop if, you, if you're out of money for fuel, if you're out of money to stay places, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you're, you're going to have to stop unless you can find some income. 
And, and I think I generally I think know. you can. I mean, we're pretty entrepreneurial. Maybe we're just more entrepreneurial I don't know than most. How, I don't know how we do it, but we do it. If you can't find an opportunity to make money, then create one. Yeah, I think that's just what don't we let do. pride get in the way. We create a, a lot of okay, so um, we now haven't got any money, so we took an opportunity to do the show. Um, we haven't got any money, so we produce a calendar and hope people will buy it and promote it. Um, we haven't got any money, so we're going to go down to a cheaper country and live very basically, probably very healthily we'll, as well. We'll be spending five to ten bucks a day to feed both of us um, just north of the Belize border. We're actually going to head down um, probably somewhere close to where we spoke to you two years ago because – we get a chance to ride into Central America, explore more of Mexico, but also we've realized that the website, we overhauled it when we were speaking to you. Um, all that needs doing again because we are still getting more hits to the website on a daily basis than the website can handle. Um, and, I've, and I've got to look at that. And if I don't look at that and spend some time getting to grips with that, I may as well just close the website up and close down and, and, <laughs> and do something else because people are going to get frustrated that – they can't follow or they can't get what they want. And we are insanely proud of the way we've journaled and photographed and we want but to carry on sharing it. back to the going, packing up and going home, I, I think it. we've had that switch flicked in our heads years and years ago that wherever we are on the road, if we're together, it is home. So there's never been the option of having to go home and earn more money because we will somehow earn some money at our home, which is on the road together. So what you're saying is that really it's time. It's, um, I mean, you, you look at people who've been in cults and it's a terrible example, but people have been, it's because of a movie I just watched, but, um, have been in cults and that's all they know. Once you get over that period where you're uncomfortable, where you're out of sorts, where you, uh, you just don't feel right and it becomes the norm. Once that, that happens, then life goes on. You find a way. Yeah. I, th I think that really is it. I mean, it's interesting. There is, I was speaking to somebody a little while ago, and I think this comes back to this mindset um, of, of, being, of being seen to be successful because we've been on the road for so long, which is that someone said, well, when you take your motorcycle to Africa, weren't you afraid of breaking down? I said, initially I was. I said, but then I realized that the mindset towards problem fixing is very different to either the USA or Northern Europe where you have a level of income and you can buy a solution. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, in Africa, typically the mindset is simple. If something breaks, you repair it. And the guy said, well, what happens if you can't repair it? And I said, well, you simply apply enough ingenuity or time until it does become repairable and it is repaired and you carry on. As opposed to in the UK, um, where, hey, um, this thing is broken. Okay, yeah, we don't have that in stock right now, but give me two weeks, I'll get you a new one. Um, where all the solutions don't just come about conveniently. You can't just buy a solution. So you better be prepared to work harder than anybody else, longer than anybody else, um, and, and use a degree of ingenuity that allows you to discover 
hey, you know what? If if I put my mind to it, there's almost anything I I, I can't achieve. I mean, the Amazon mm. the Amazon speaks probably volumes about our our mindset in that. Again, I had a couple of people yesterday go, oh, the Amazon jungle, the broken neck. I just sat there and cried. And I said, no, you can't. At some point, you have to pick yourself up and go, you know what? I got myself into this. I'm damn well getting myself out of this. Thanks very much. Let's carry on. I think that's how every day is for us. And we, because of the shiny bikes and the kit that we have, and we're very lucky with, with our sponsors, and we don't take that for granted and it still amazes us uh, that we get the support now of equipment from from companies. Um, I, it still makes me um, kind of go, "Well, do, do they know that it's just us?" You know, I'm still waiting for that <laughs> tap on the shoulder. Hey guys, I'm so yeah. sorry. Can we get that kit and those bikes back? We 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 kind we of thought you were somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And it always amazes me. And and I I suppose we look very professional, um, and we look shiny so people but that's, often but that's also something we work on i mean we were yeah. business people before the journey started and the reality is that if you've got a sponsor and whether they're giving you a smile or a bike part or a helmet then i think there is a degree of responsibility that you have as the as the sponsoree as the receiver of their generosity to represent them as as well, as cleanly, as professionally as you can do, and in turn represent yourself. I mean, this, this guy a couple of days ago, who was joking me, I thought, saying, well, you know, you haven't got any hygiene issues, you don't smell. And I, later on in the same conversation, I said to him, look, you, if you look at a lot of riders, uh, especially European riders for some reason, there is this idea that the dirtier you, you are, the more adventure you're having. And I said, at least when I went through this. But we've been through that at period of times when there has been no choice. At the beginning of the journey, though, there was a choice to some degree. And I remember I remember feeling all kind of cool and badass that I was dirty and I, you know, I, I was covered in all this adventure. And then you fast forward a couple of years and your brain goes, you know what? No, you're not more adventurous. You're just dirty. <laughs> and then you, and it, it's just it's just that it's just that mental mindset. But, but this sort of goes back to that original question as well. When I said, "Why are you so successful?" This is part of the reason, and you you didn't you haven't nailed yourself there. That no. is part of the reason why you're, you're you're successful at what you're doing because you're approaching it from a different perspective. You're you're giving some sponsors what they want or what they need to get when they give something out, and there in turn, you know, that makes the whole thing go around. So it's not just a matter of staying out there. You may even have to be a certain type of person to do it. I think you're probably yeah. right. I mean, yeah. we, we're surprised all the time. I mean, we were over, we, we did the, uh, we spent a couple of days at the Touratech Rally just east of Seattle. And there were some fantastic rides um, and there was some single track stuff. And there was a couple of guys saying, you know, well, you really shouldn't be taking the 1200 on the single Actually, track. Actually, it was some of the Touratech guys. Yeah. They're winding you up going poke, you know, let's poke the bear. <laughs> Let, let's see what we can get him to do. And so me, <laughs> me being the gullible idiot I am, like, oh, that's, he just dared me. I'm English. Okay. <laughs> so we, we headed out and by, by the halfway stage, we'd lost half the riders who said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm turning around. I had a fantastic time. It was a great test for the, for the bike and myself. But one of the things I'd done is when it got really single track and really, you know, close quarters, I had taken the, uh, and this is going to be a horrible plug, but bear with me. I'd taken my double take mirrors and I'd folded them in. I'd also totally forgotten that I'd had the, um, the Cena camera on the whole time. Cause normally I'm a little more, uh, economic with what I'm filming just because of a variety of reasons. Well, when we got back, it had a great time. I was super enthusiastic. Like, that was awesome. No bags, no panniers. I wasn't just moving house on the bike. I was actually riding the bike. 
And I thought, well, I'll make a little, I'll make a little video because Ned Suisse, who owns the, uh, he, he came up with the double take mirrors, these mirrors that you fold in. So I made this little 45 second video that was just, hey, if you want to ride like this, cut to the scene where it's all gnarly yeah. and single track, make sure you can do this. And I folded the mirrors down and that's all it was. And about a, about a week later on, I got this email, really grateful email from Ned who said, guys, thank you so much for, for, for doing that. That's awesome. And I said, well, listen, I was feeling really bad that we hadn't really acknowledged the fact that you'd given us a set of mirrors each before. And I, I wanted to say visual, thank you. He said to me, no, that really means a lot. He said, I get so many riders emailing me on a daily and a weekly basis saying, hey, I'm going to go off and do this. I, I end up giving away so many sets of mirrors and product and I never get anything back. Oh, wow. And I just thought, you know, it's there is a responsibility in that if, you, if, you, if anyone gives you something and you promise to give something back, you better have a damn good reason why you're not fulfilling something that you've promised to do. Because you know what? It's just making it harder for the next person who does want to fulfill the promise to a sponsor, mm. but isn't given the chance because the sponsor says, listen, once bitten, twice shy. I can't take that risk. We've talked a lot about uh, sponsorships here on the show and, and, you know, what's involved and what's expected. And uh, I mean, we could, I guess, go on about it <laughs> endlessly. Uh, but it is a big problem because I think people think that uh, they picture getting free product and they don't realize that nothing's free, you know, and, and likely whatever free product you're going you're going to get is probably not worth the effort to yourself um, that you can have to put through to really fulfill your commitment on your end. You've absolutely hit the nail on the head. I think I think we touched on this a little while ago, and I'm sure that you've you've heard this before. Um, a couple of years ago, I had a guy approach me who said, "Hey, I really want to get that Dragonfly stove that you've got, the MSR Dragonfly." I said, "Yeah, awesome stove, great bit of kit." He said, "But listen, I'm I'm going to go and do this ride, and it was a really cool ride." He said, um, "I probably have five or six hours in. I've written a proposal. I've done this. I've done that. I've emailed it off to the MSR guys. I haven't heard heard back. Can you give me any advice?" And I said, "Well, why why do you want to get the stove sponsored?" And he gave me an answer, and it was fair enough. I said, "What do you do for a living?" He said, oh, "I'm a lawyer." I said, "Well, do you mind if I ask you a personal question?" He said, "Sure." I said, "How much do you earn per hour?" He said, oh, "About 120 bucks." I said, well, the economy of scale is this. If you've already spent three or four hours of your time writing presumably an articulate explanation where you've passionately explained this journey and what it means to you and, and, and what you may or may not be able to provide the sponsor by way of return, are you looking at spending a few more hours doing that? He said, yeah, sure, because I really want to get this free stove. I said, it makes no sense. The minute you spent longer than an hour of your time trying to get it free, it was cheaper to go and buy it. It was almost like the, the sponsorship and the Facebooking and the social media is some type of validation for the journey as opposed to go out, oh, make the journey it. yours. Yeah. And then if you really want to to share share it with Facebook and the website, Instagram, then do it. But spend the first few days, weeks mm. or months making the journey yours. We've been speaking about that quite a lot. Um, when, when we do the rallies or uh, when we do a, a, a talk at a dealership, depending on you know what they want, we sometimes touch on that and say, don't 
immediately when you go on a trip, think about Facebooking everything. Or giving or, part of your journey away. Just just keep it to yourself for the first, at least for the first couple of months. Grow Try, into your journey. Yeah. Rather than, oh, every single day I've got to do a selfie and then I've got to post it up on Facebook. I mean, we didn't have that. That's like work. When we left, we were so lucky. There was no Facebook. Um, and it has changed so much these days. People want to be seen to do their to be doing their adventure. And I th- think it's encroaching upon that adventure. It's, it's changing it. People. But also if you buy, if you bind yourself to this yeah, work type, this work type ethic. Yeah. Binding it. Yeah. You, you tend to fight. If you speak to, you speak to any, I mean, you go, you go, you speak to lots of adventure riders. Um, and you ask most of them and they will mostly confess to the fact that even after the first few weeks, they were, markedly different people than the ones that closed the front door, said adios to the job. So find out who you are as you grow into your journey, because your, your writing style will change, how your creativity will change, how you share your journey will change. But also, if you do want to write, initially start writing for, for yourself. yourself. Don't be thinking about this is going to be online and I've how got am to I going to impress a, my audience? Yeah, how am I going to impress? Um, it, it, I don't know. I, the, the social media side of things, I, I think, has really affected um, the kind of journeys and how people perceive their journeys. I want to come full circle to uh, to Jim's one of uh, Jim's earlier questions, mm. which was which we never seem to answer. No, I think we kind of <laughs> did, but Jim's about about being successful. Um, I tell you, what, I think I think I've just realised one of the reasons is that I think I don't think people are actually that interested in how far we've travelled. Most people really don't care how long we've been traveling for. It's just a number. I think what fascinates people and why there's a degree of interest in that we are still as enthusiastic and passionate about traveling. And that's what fascinates people. It's like I've, I've got I, I've got a couple of friends. We have friends around the world. Do we? we Do have, we hang actually on. have friends? We have friends around <laughs> the world. And some of these guys have a huge bank balance. And yeah. I do not know one of them that set out with the intention of accruing wealth. They've ended up going out and doing something they were, they were passionate about, they were enthusiastic about, that they, they needed to do. And that has driven their financial success as a result, as opposed to, hey, I want to be the guy that has a million dollars in the bank. We weren't the people that wanted to be riding around the world for longer than anybody else. That's still not the purpose or the goal. It's certainly not the reward. It's yeah. it's more a case of chasing our dreams and our ambitions and and being fascinated that keeps us on the road. And I think that probably is an answer in I, terms of being seen to be also successful. Also, being seen to be successful. We oh god, now I'm going to sound like I'm gushing. Um, I so I'm terrified <laughs> as to what you're going to say right now. We really. We really do I'm work. I'm feeling nervous. I know. We really do work as as one. Um, if you say you complete me, you I complete will puke. You complete me, yeah. No, you complicate me. That's the thing. You complicate me. Um, Just quoted Jerry Maguire. I know. Good Lord. No, that's Show Me the Money, isn't it? Um, that's a different film. Um, no. Was it the same, same film? Same film. Okay. Yep. Um, anyway, Focus. going off tack there. Focus. It's, we get on so well. We, we bicker. I think sometimes, but if it wasn't for Simon, it's I not bickering. It's verbal foreplay. I, I wouldn't still be 
on the road. I wouldn't still be doing this. There's no point if Simon's not with me. And um, I know you feel the same way, don't you? If the camera was, <laughs> if the camera was showing her face right now. You could hear it in her voice. Pause. She just told you, don't you? Yes. Wait, I believe the answer is yes, dear. <laughs> You're going to eat tonight. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> it just seems to work. And I think think that that is a very unusual element. And I, I really do think that's why we've been able to continue happily um, on the road because we're, we're together and we're both happy doing the same thing. So I, I have a confession to make. Mo- moving away from this very philosophical and deep conversation just for a second, what? Jim needs to know, hey, your name, your Adventure Rider Radio got mentioned a lot in the last two weeks. Oh, very uh, nice. In a in a really good oh, way. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's so right. I had I had I had a guy come up to me. Um, this was at um, yeah. um, Overland Expo. Overland Expo when we're this guy on, comes up yeah. to me and says, um, "Hey, so what's going on with Lisa?" I said, "Oh, oh you know, um, what do you mean?" Yeah, she doesn't like her bike. I said, "I think she, no, I no, she likes her bike. Why?" No, no, she she said she didn't like her bike. Well, when did she say this? I mean, we've been riding now for for nine months, thirty thousand miles almost. No, she, no, she said she friend. wants to get a smaller bike, and I didn't have a clue what this guy was talking about. And then Lisa was speaking to some guy yesterday. He came up to her and said, "Hey, Lisa, I think what's this thing about you know not liking the big bikes and wanting to go smaller?" And she said, "Well, I've never said that. Yeah, I heard you on Adventure Rider Radio. <laughs> Transpires that people were listening to." Uh, Jason uh, Spafford and Lisa Morris, who we haven't met as yet. And for whatever reason, quite a few people have just presumed that because her name's Lisa, (laughs) that it's this Lisa, and are going, but this bike is brand new. Why do you want to go to a smaller one? Because apparently she was talking to you about wanting to get a smaller bike. I see what's going on there. We didn't have a clue what the hell was going on. Like, no, 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 we we like our bikes. Lisa likes a big bike. I love my bike, my my new baby, you know. I can't get rid of it. I'm not getting rid of it. But it took us a week to finally realize that it was because these guys had spoken to you on, on this station. We didn't have a clue what was going on. Yeah. We're going to take a break for just a minute, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the brand new motorcycles that Thomas's are riding and a lot more. Stay with us. High-vis gear is sort of a natural for many riders. Some riders choose to do other things to be seen, but let's face it, I think we can all agree that being seen on the road by other drivers is certainly conducive to a life of happy riding. But did you realize that all high-vis gear is not created equally? I mean, as far as high-vis goes, we know it works. It definitely works. I mean, only your police and your fire department, everybody else seems to use that. So clearly it's there for a reason, so you can be seen. Now, Aerostitch, a rider-owned and driven company, and of course one of our show supporters, offers gear in a high-vis version that works for motorcyclists. And this is just another reason why I think Aerostitch is so connected with us as motorcyclists, as motorcycle riders. They make garments using a particular high-vis material that they feel is better for us as motorcyclists, and they have a few reasons for it. Now, if you've ever been curious about high-vis or you're curious now about buying a a high-vis garment, drop by their website, www.arrowstitch.com forward slash ARR. Make sure you use that forward slash ARR. Now, when you get to the page in the search bar, I think it's in the top right-hand side, put in high-vis advantages high-viz advantages, press return. That should bring up the page where they talk about high-viz gear. They give some examples. They explain it. They've got people who have ridden with it. It's good stuff. And, and again, it's that 
Aerostitch does this all the time. They've got, if you get their catalog, they've got all these pages throughout their catalog where they, they explain things to you, you know, their explanations, stories, all types of things. I mean, I've said it before, I highly recommend you order their catalog www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. That forward slash ARR lets them know it comes from Adventure Rider Radio and it'll get you 10% off your order. Or if you're an existing customer, it'll get you free shipping on your next order. Anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. A big part of riding somewhere new is often just the expense and time of getting there and back to the place you want to ride in. So, for instance, a a trip to the west coast of North America may be out of your reach as far as your vacation time, etc., because you got to count the time getting there and back, unless you find a good rental company. Now, Tour USA is a motorcycle rental company that understands the needs of us adventure riders, so much so that all of their rental bikes are equipped with protection for adventure travel, your skid plates, etc. They also have Pelican Pan to increase the durability of the bike if it should fall over. Tour USA is located near Seattle, Washington, which makes a perfect launch point to explore the west coast of the U.S. and Canada or even beyond from there. Now, being that they're connected with PSSOR, Puget Sound Safety Off-Road, a name you will know because you've listened to our rider skills here with Brett Tax, means they can set you up for everything from rider training before you go to a fully supported tour. Or you can just rent the bike and go on your own adventure. Visit them at www.tourusa.us, tourusa.us. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. And now we'll head back and spend some more time with the Thomases. First of all, finding out about those brand new bikes. Well, and that, that brings me to a different question. What's different now from when we talked before? Um, I think the I think the biggest difference is we have a much clearer way forward. Um, we have less we have less worry on the mechanical side of things. And I hadn't realised how much that was wearing me down. And the bikes, I mean, quite literally, they give us a new lease of these life. These new bikes are so superb. I mean, my eight hundred. Wait, wait, wait. Now, just to be clear, for the yes. sake of clarity, yes. are BMW Motorrad paying you to say that? No. But hang on. No. When we talked before, when you guys were in Mexico, you were riding a pair of old bikes. Actually, we even talked about, Simon in particular, we talked about, I said, I think I made some remark about, well, if BMW gave you a motorcycle, you'd probably be riding a brand new bike. And I think you yeah. said, no, I won't. Or, or, or I don't know about that or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah. I was certain. What I, changed? I don't remember the answer, but I would have been hesitant. Yeah. And we were hesitant but one of the one of the things and and this gives us a very good opportunity to to make that to clear, clear. yeah bmw did not do not do not give us anything and they have not given us the new bikes wow now that exactly. is uh, that is completely contrary to what i understood so yep. yeah I hear this so, a lot so you didn't get the bike they're not sponsoring you then no no nothing zero nada we are, never we have. Are, we are still totally independent from BMW. I thought there was this huge change between what had happened there because I thought you'd got BMW as a sponsor because we even talked about, I think, about Continental Tire and you were saying that, yeah. you know, you'd like to get Continental Tire as a, as a sponsor. We have got Continental Tire. Well, it's Continental about time, Tire, isn't it? 
do yeah it's been it's been 13 years hey Jeff if yeah. you're listening thank you very much mate thank, thank you Jeff thank you Danielle um it's it, they give us the tires now and they give us the tires that we love uh, which has worked out really really well for us well this now this this was a freak this was a freaky no, circumstance we're jumping around so that's our thing no we don't tangent no we're going to ask that question. okay so um and it's a misconception um and we when we had the opportunity it was from an individual uh, who came to us under uh, the company LXV Outdoor. Which is actually an outdoor adventure paddleboarding company, nothing to do with the motorcycle industry at all. And they approached us, or uh, the man who owns the company approached us, and initially we were, well, we don't think we want to change well, our bikes. And, hang on, and hang initially on. we thought this is this is really weird. It can't be. Uh, wait, wait, a true wait, offer. wait. Initially, initially we had this wonderful offer which we kind of ignored because we thought it was a joke. We thought it was some kind of prank. Yeah. Hey guys, I've been following you guys for yeah, a while. Yeah. Love what you do. Um, I want to get you new bikes. Yeah, of course you do. Ha ha ha. It's like pretty woman, isn't it? Cinderella. Or no, that my stuff. I've got a Nigerian uncle that's just died, yeah, and can I have more like it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just um, have to pay the tax. We just exactly. Took it, we just took it as a, as a, as a bit of a joke, and I think my answer was, "Oh, that's great. I'd like a pink one for Sundays. I'd have a green one for a Monday." And we kind of just dismissed that as as, as a bit of a joke. A few we, weeks later yeah. on, we realised it was serious, it was serious. And we went, "Oh, we need to have this conversation." And the nice thing about it, it still makes us totally and utterly independent in our choice. We could have had. Any motorcycle, we did look at a variety of the bikes. We looked at, we looked at the KTM, the New Africa Twin. When we first left in 2003, we'd had our original bikes since 1999 and 2001. The choice of adventure bikes at that time was very, very limited. Uh, in the UK, I'm not, even, I'm not even sure you could say it was a choice. Yeah, there was hardly a choice. And for my height, I mean, I, I've got a 27, Seven. 28 max inside leg. It's not a lot. You know, you know, I love you, right? Yeah. You are five foot two. I'm not five foot two. I am taller. We shall deal with this later. Yeah, sure. Um, and so it was very, very restricted. There was the Africa Twin. Um, uh, there was the uh, original Triumph Tiger. I mean, they're all massive, tall bikes. And so I had the choice of the original. You mean uh, then or now? Uh, then, uh, the F650 GS. And I love that bike. It's, it's, a, it's a fantastic bike. Oh, by the way, we still, we still, uh, we still own the bikes. They're ours. We are never selling Oh, could never sell my baby. And they're being um, <laughs> they're being looked after, and they're actually on display um, at uh, Bob's BMW. Who he has a gorgeous separate uh, museum, BMW museum, and they're being taken care of for us right there. Um, but so just just to round up this this quick soundbite, we had this opportunity. We we it, for us it was um, it was a very big decision because we were very connected to the old bikes. And when you change anything, especially something as substantial as your mode of transport. That brings inherent risk. But in the end of the day, we just realized that we had more to gain than we had to lose. Getting new um, bikes, yeah. And a lot of a lot of the concerns that I did, did have about the technology and the level of electronic sophistication, as I began to research both the 1200 and the 800, it became apparent that the concerns were really born more from my own um, ignorance as opposed to any any issues or faults. And the reality is that, you know, because of the kind of riding that we like to do, 
you ride hard enough and long enough, everything's going to break. I remember setting out in 2003 and, and a few of my naysayer friends were, oh, that's the wrong bike. Yeah, you've got fuel injection. You need to go carburetted. And in the 13 years on the road, I, we've, neither of us have yeah. had a problem. Um, and none of the technology on either of these bikes is specifically new. It's been on car technology for, mm. you know, 10, 15 years. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good chance to just to clear. We are very, very proud um, to actually be BMW brand ambassadors. And we have a fantastic relationship with, with so many the of dealers. the dealers out there. I mean, they're um, great guys. Um, what is a brand ambassador? Um, I don't actually oh, know. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I know that's not the, a political answer, <laughs> but basically, yeah, I, I actually, I'm actually not very sure. I mean, we don't have any links. We don't have any open communication to BMW Corp. Well, how do you we become an ambassador? Then? How do you get that? You, that get, you get an email from you get an email eight years ago from the vice president who says, "Hey guys, uh, love what you're doing. We'd like to make you brand ambassadors." And we didn't write back and say no. So the next thing we know, we have another email that says, "Guys, you're brand ambassadors." I'm pretty shooting myself in the foot. I don't know what that means. I, I, I think mean, you. I think you missed the second email that said, "Come pick up your bikes." You missed out there. <laughs> <laughs> Check your junk folder. Oh, I do like the optimism. Yeah, yeah. So, but in a way, um, no, not it, in a way. It's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's great. It. It we've is. We've got such a net. We've got such a strong network yeah. of friends and supporters that have allowed us to ride into the next couple of years with some incredible equipment and more importantly have not asked us to sell our journey to them haven't said you must give us 20 videos and a ton of photographs and one of the nice things we were able to make any and all modifications to the bikes that we wanted to we approached uh, Toratec in germany and, and said okay i know you've just given us some you know great parts for our old bikes that that needed a bit of work on them now we've got these new bikes and what do you like think about giving us some more stuff and they were like fantastic Absolutely fantastic because they were new bikes. It was going to be new equipment, um, and they were excited by the the prospect of, of outfitting and helping us outfit these two new bikes. And having a, a good relationship with the the dealers, uh, the BMW dealers in and around the USA, um, all of that work was done. Well, it was um, actually it was in actually Riverside in BMW California. BMW motorcycles of Riverside. So once we knew that this offer was genuine. We ended up um, emailing uh, six or seven bike shops and saying, hey, guys, we have this incredible opportunity. What's the best deal you can give us on some bikes? And every dealer came back within two hours and said, yeah, we'd love to help yeah, out. Yeah, here's, here's the crazy good offer. Um, and to our amazement, two of the dealers, uh, one on the East Coast and BMW Motorcycles of Riverside said, hey, we'll help you. We'll give you a crazy good price. Oh, and by the way, we know you're going to want to modify these bikes like your old ones. We'll sponsor all the work, too. And we said, are you sure? Because this is going to be a pretty extensive modification. All the things we did to our old bikes that really had value that we changed over the course of 15 years, we want to now replicate over the course of a few weeks. This is going to be, you know, a pretty serious build. No, we're all in. And 12 weeks later, we, we rolled out the door and, and head off into the night yeah, on yeah. these two amazing machines. So um, it's it's been an, an eye-opening experience for us making this change and realizing the, the support that we do have but it is nice for, to have the opportunity to, to actually 
clear that up and say, no, we are totally independent. Well, what is it? What is it about corporate sponsorship that seems like a sellout to some people? What is it about the fact that you even feel that you even use the words to, to clear the air, you know, or, or sort of defend your position? What is it about that, that corporate sponsorship? Is there some sort of stigma that's attached to an adventure yes. motorcyclist yes. that uh, that you are absolutely. required to be a poor rider that is barely getting by, skinny and underfed? Uh, yeah, I yeah, no, I think you, I think, no, I think Jim's point, and I'll tell you what, and if anyone is is doubting the validity of what you've just said, you go and ask you and Charlie how much crap they received because they had a backup vehicle. Uh, it's The problem is, and I'm going to use an inappropriate word, there is so much dick measuring when it comes to all this stuff. Uh, the bottom line is, we're all different and we all want to do different types of riding. And what's an adventure ride to one is a walk in the park for somebody else. The bottom line is you're on two wheels, it floats your boat, and you know that when you're on your bike, you've got a smile on your face. That's the only important aspect. But, but so many people but, perceive if you have support, if yeah. you're not in pain, if you're too clean, oh, you've sold out, no, you're not a real, but you know. going back to the, you know, because we did. Uh, probably quite permanently go, no, we haven't got that sponsorship. Um, it's, <sighs> it's it, I think it speaks to a lot of people. The minute we picked up those new bikes, a lot a of people. Either sold or you've lost credibility. We, yeah, and we have to say nice things about our BMW bikes because they were given to us by the company. But we made a choice to return to the BMW motorcycles because they're the best bikes in the world for us. They are for us. They work. So it was a, a, a good, maybe good advertising for BMW that we did return after having a choice of any bike that we wanted on the market. I mean, there's, there's just no way that Lisa and I can argue with the fact that those two bikes are original two bikes. We demanded from them above and beyond anything they were really ever designed to do. And they performed. And any problems that we did have, like the wiring loom in the Amazon, mm -hmm. was because we were pushing them far beyond. And yet, I, 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 I'm not sure of another brand of bike that would have done that. But also... And I want to ride it, not fix them. Yeah, we now feel totally validated in being able to say, yeah, they're absolutely fantastic. I love that bike of mine. I love my old one, but I love my new one. And we're not having to say that. Okay, so then since you didn't get the bikes given to you from BMW, you can talk freely about them and you can express your own opinions. What is it about the stock bike that you had to change that you couldn't stand for your own use? Right. It seemed a long one. Uh, <laughs> we have, for us, personally. Personally, for us. Um, Handlebars. I had to scoop the seat out so that I could get my little short, stumpy legs um, over the bike and reach the floor. Um, every adventure bike is just so tall um, and it makes it very, very awkward. So the first thing for me was altering the seat. Um, and I tried a variety of seats. Obviously, I tried some Touratech seats, but they still didn't manage to get it low enough. And I went for a seat concepts, which has been fantastic. Changed out the suspension. Um, Why? Um, because, well, for one thing, Torotech offered us a suspension and a beefier suspension than was the original, but it's also rebuildable. And serviceable. And serviceable. And we need that. 
we cannot be left stranded with a with a broken shock in the middle of nowhere and have to wait Re- and have to replace the entire shock as opposed to a small component yeah um, um, we've changed out handlebars handlebars the handlebars on the BMW bikes they're, they're pretty good bars but the sweep back is about 19 degrees too much for us and, that's, and we just prefer a flatter bar so that our elbows aren't coming into our sides and when we're stood up your elbows are up you're in a more aggressive attack position and that allows you to to handle and ride the bike with a, de- a degree of practical also- experience and confidence what did you change that to um the flex bar the flex bars from yeah the, from the from the fast, fast company. company. The guy, the guy that came up with this idea is his name's Cole. Came up with the idea in college. He's been pursuing it ever since. The company is called Fast Company, F A S T. And I thought I was all being all cool. Hey, I had these awesome bars that actually not only they'll build you a set to a variety of angles, and for Lisa and I, a twelve degree sweep back is just the sweet spot. Basically, the bars are designed so they are not rigid. The bars don't convey the vibration uh, from the bike. Uh, that's then transmitted into into your arms, hands, shoulders, wrists. They actually flex, so as when you hit something off road, that that jarring isn't sent into you. Um, and they've worked so well that we've even been able to take the bar weights off the end. Um, and they uh, just can you see them flex when you push on them? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. And you can change the polymers so you can actually you can actually make them more spongy, more or more resistant. I mean, for example, if someone was racing with a set of these, I would imagine you'd want them a little a little more rigid than we have them set because obviously it's about input and immediate response. Um, you might find somebody on the road who's just doing some gentle cruising might want them a little more flexible. So all of that's tailorable. It's good um, stuff. We've we've changed um... the seat. Oh, yeah, you've changed your seat too. I've got a 21 on the front of my yes. bike. Woody's wheels, that was one of the first yeah. things I went back. I loved the 21 inch on my 1150. So, so one of the very change. first things was, mm. hey, Woody, can we get a 21 on the 1200? And I was surprised to find out that as far as I understand, nobody else then had put a 21 inch uh, rim onto a water cool 1200. So that was an interesting exercise. Was it? It, that's been fantastic too. And so we had, we changed Now BMW out. should make that an option. They should, I think. Hey guys, mm. here's a $26,000 motorcycle. By the way, for an extra grand, you can have a 21 well, inch would be more than that, instead, but, of a, instead of a 19. Um, but um, we changed out uh, the rims too. And I'd heard reports about, you know, the 800 rims being a bit what somebody say like butter, bit soft, soft yeah. and I thought, oh God, I don't want that uh, to happen in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so we changed out to the XL rims, more heavy duty spokes. And Woody did all of that billet custom hubs. billet hubs. And um, both bikes are now running the same wheel set. So on the rear, I, I really didn't want that gigantic one seventy wide tire. It's difficult to find tires. In, in other countries, well, not, not outside Europe or, or North America, in North America, I mean, it's, it's outside of those countries. You can find the 150s on- okay, though, like that are on the back yeah. of the 800? So, well, yeah. because, the, because they've been on the 1100, the 1150 and the 1200s all the way through. Every manufacturer has those. So even if we can't get Conti um, because of a communication problem or something else, you can find tires. But also, obviously, because we are often in off-road conditions, in tight technical terrain, um, I want I want a nice skinnier tire. That 170, I think, would be more problematic than helpful. Mm. So we change, and that also helps us because uh, we're able to carry the, the the front is tubed and the rear is tubeless, and we're able to carry um, additional tubes, and they're for the same size. 
So that I mean, helps. It's, it's like any motorcycle. I mean, I don't know of any rider that goes out and buys a secondhand bike or a brand new bike and then doesn't fairly quickly begin to, to personalize it, to really make it theirs. I mean, good Lord, Harley Davidson's entire business is based on providing a base model that everyone then goes out and, and changes and, and adapts. Um, and I and I think BMW should be really proud of the fact that they produce these awesome machines um, that we're able to then go ahead and personalize. It's not making it better or worse. It's just a case of personalizing it mm. so that we have the best chance of getting to where we need to be at the end of each of our days. And basically the alterations we've done on the new bikes are an almost exact replica Neuro. To the one, the alterations we'd made over a longer time period on our old bikes. Well, it was a thirteen-year, a thirteen-year experiment, a dry yeah. run. We knew what didn't work, and we also were able to analyze. Okay, what are the modifications that we made over the thirteen years of being on the road? Um, what were the, what were the modifications that made our life faster, safer, easier, more convenient? Which modifications? really made a difference. Even even the dealer was surprised. Dan, uh, who owns Riverside, said, yeah, to be honest, I thought you were going to have more Tech stuff on here. I said, really? There's there's a lot of Tech stuff on there. He said, yeah, but these guys are giving you carte blanche. You could have easily just eaten the entire catalog and then just puked all over the bikes. But we uh, made and we specific haven't. choices. We know what Calculated works for choices. us. So when um, you guys were choosing your bikes, what was the second choice? Like you said, you look at all the different manufacturers. What was the second choice if you couldn't get the BMWs? Um, some of the ones that I was like, ooh, God, that, that just um, – the New Africa Twin, uh, the first adventure bike that I ever saw, that I ever went, wow. I was probably six or seven years of age. I was in the south of France on vacation with my parents. I wasn't into bikes. I was too young. And I remember holding my dad's hand. We went for a walk. And I saw this guy turn up with no helmet on what was then the biggest bike I'd ever seen. And I remember very clearly going, hey, that's what a man looks like. He was just ep- epitome of you said it was masculinity. The- and it was, he was on an Africa Twin. I had no idea what it was. Um, so I've got a soft spot for the Africa Twin, and the new one looks, it just looks the part. I hear good things about it. Uh, um, for, the for KTM me, 1190 was pretty cool too. You like that too. The, it's a the, wheelie machine. The, the one thing for me, though, is the consideration is the height. And can I get on the bike and off the bike safely uh, without, you know, having to scooch my hips over? Because I'm sorry, on a 630-pound um, bike, uh, in the middle of rocks or sand, I can't be scooching over too far. I'm not going to be able to hold it foot. to balance on one foot. It's just not going to happen. Um, and to do that day in, day out. Um, so that was one of my considerations. How can we get a bike to fit me? Um, and I also knew that we, we did look at lighter bikes. We looked we at did, 450s. We did. But Yamaha's, KTM's. I just. I just fell in love with this bike. Well, the 800 is um, not short, though. No, it's not. It was. It would actually. This was now. This was an interesting one for us. It would have actually been easier for us and faster to have made some small modifications to the brand new 1200 and get Lisa lower. Yeah. Um, then what it, then do you mean? Get a 1200 for her as well? Yes. Yeah, because because again, it, all these things were considerations because. There's no denying the fact that if we both had the same bike, 
then in a very practical way, that would make our lives easier in terms of problem solving and fixing mm-hmm. and However, spare parts. The other and then, things. Hang on, and then, but then we realized, you know what? We're actually ignoring our own advice. We get asked a lot in person and electronically, hey guys, I'm planning a journey. What bike should I take? And we were ignoring our own advice. We were looking at all of these options so pragmatically and so logically that we'd missed the very simple fact that motorcycling is about passion over practicality. And our advice to, for years had, has been, guys, take the bike that you either have or that you are the most excited to ride. Take a bike that turns you on. Because if you're making your decision just based on practicalities and being sensible, go and get a 4 by 4 You can roll the windows up, it's got aircon. But motorcycling is, is much more than that. And Lisa and I both went, you know what? I love riding the 650. You know what? I've always had a big bike. Lisa's bike was was big with all the fuel tanks on, but it's what turned us on. It's what floated our boat. And, and I, so was you know also, what? I was also not keen to get the GSA if I had a 1200 GSA because it was just too massive uh, for me to take off road. I, I wouldn't be happy with that. Um but to go for a standard GS, the 1200 GS, then my fuel tank would not have been the large tank. And so in a way, it would be a bit pointless for Simon to have the large tank and me to have a standard tank because we've always both had um, the large gas tanks. Now, you know, Except for now. I've got, the, I've, got, I've got the 1200 GSA with a standard GSA it, BMW tank. Yes, but it's a big tank. Yeah. It's bigger than the it's not GS. As, it's not as big as yours. Nothing's as big as mine. Oh, God, we're back to size again, aren't we? (laughs) And I've got a very large, um, at at the time, it was uh, uh, the almost a prototype tank for the 2015 800 from Toratech. Well, you've got got nine big gallons. You've got got 36 litres now. I've got about nine and a half gallons now. Um, So I've got an additional 22 litres up the front. And you don't need it for when you're in North America or you know, Europe, et cetera, but we're often not and we're in areas where we do. So we wanted to replicate what we had on the old bikes. Um, and I was able to do that with the large tank. With the help of Touratech, With the help Germany. of Touratech, yeah, um, on the 800. Um, and so that was another thing that I was thinking of, um, you know, what, what could then be put on the bikes and, and the original bikes had proved themselves. I and mean, if we jump on new bikes, we're jumping into the unknown. And, and, and going back to the sensible decision-making process, the BMW bikes had proved themselves. They were a known quantity. Yeah, yeah but Lisa's uh, wasn't that engine, was it? She had the 650. Wasn't it a single cylinder? I had yeah. a single cylinder, yeah, and I love that bike. But for me, there was no point in changing to a new bike this was my reasoning. Because um, we did look at the new 650 We did for you. look at the new 650. And I'm like, well, here we are spending out, well, not our money, but somebody else's money um, on getting a new bike. And if I'm doing that and I'm going to make a change, I want to make a big change. So I also didn't consider the 700. Um, I did, you know, go around and sit on a lot and go, oh, my God. That comes with cast wheels as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And the 800 is so tall. I couldn't on the – not on the GSA. It was the GS. I can't even reach the floor. I I couldn't get it off side stand. I I couldn't reach the floor at all. My feet were waving in the wind. And that was a 
that was a lot. We got of, a video of that, by the way. Yeah, that, that was a lot of, of concern for me. Um, but I decided that that was the bike I was going to have. And we then did absolutely everything to try so that I could reach the floor. And we dropped the front forks just, ooh, about an eighth of an inch. Eighth of an inch. And haven't dropped the rear at all. And um, everything else is in the seat. We tried that. We tried the Touratech seat. Um, that didn't get low enough. We tried the BMW yeah, low seat. Yeah, so we seat. went for the seat concepts. And one, then seat yeah. concepts said, "Hey, we'll we'll we'll, we'll do something." And, and like Lisa's original 650, it ended up being brace scooped out, and they made it Very substantially narrow. narrower, which was able to uh, fit fit Lisa, and she can now get both tiptoes on both feet onto the ground. Both tiptoes. Did, did you give any thought to um, like an Alice Cooper style boot? No, no. I, I always like wearing my motocross boots. I've always ridden with motocross boots. They've protected my legs and ankles Lisa, do you know so how Ice Cooper is? Eh? Do you know, yeah, I know. Do you know the reference Jim's making? The top, of course I do. Really? Goodness me. 25 years we've been yeah. together. I have never, I've never heard you mention Alice Cooper's name or listen to Simon, a track. Simon, I am of the era. Era. Well, but hang on a second. Do you guys not listen to the same kind of music? No. no. <laughs> Lisa, what do you listen to? Um, oh gosh, what do I listen to? I'm I'm an old school girl. I like. Um, Lisa's a classically trained musician. She's a violinist. She likes. Um, I like opera. Like I like music. Uh, posh music. I like <laughs> classical. I like a lot of the romantics. Um, um, I, I'm not into jazz at all, really, unless it's really old fashioned, you know, blues jazz. Then then that's okay, but I don't really like it. Um, oh, sorry. Um, and, but I like, yeah, you see, I can go on for hours. I I'm, like, I'm tempted um, to say Katy Perry just for fun. <laughs> I like um, the things like Genesis, uh, the original Genesis. Um, um, the way you're saying oh, all this is like you, you think that, that this is pure music to you, right? Like this, is, yeah. this is the proper music. Pink Floyd, you know. I like fluffy music. He, I, like, I like pop and fluff. He like likes um, Spice Britney. Girls, Katy Perry. You like Britney. Britney Spears, like Justin anything. Timberlake. I like anything <laughs> that's got a really good beat that you can dance to that I can that I can tune into whilst I'm riding that puts a smile on my face. I think that I says don't. more about you two as individuals than everything else we've talked to. I think I can just cut the rest of this interview and go right <laughs> to that. And that's going to spell it out for everyone. <laughs> and I, I don't listen to music when I ride. And I have to. I love it. How do you find, now I know you're sponsored by Senna. How do you find the Senna headsets for radio reception? Um, um, I don't know. I don't, I've, I've never used it. I've never used it. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry really? Yes, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I've tr- I have tried to use it, um, but typically um, when we first got them, we were down in Mexico and Central America again, and my Spanish isn't good enough to want to listen to nothing but Mexican music. Um, and I found that because I didn't know, I mean, the the, the actual quality of the units is great. Um, but I, yeah, it's just not a feature that I've, I've you plugged into. You like to into. select your own music, really. You, you've got a, a whole... Well, it's like the Garmin. I mean, there, there are so many parts of the, the bikes um, and the electronics. Even the, I've got a Garmin, uh, Garmin Navigator 5. It's the one that comes with the bike. Um, I probably only use a tiny fraction of the, of the features. I just don't need them. Oh, and we don't have our Garmins linked in to the Cena. You do. Because- yeah, I do. Wow. Yeah, but you don't have it going to you. Know what I mean is you no, don't yeah, have yeah, it but going. You're not explaining it, are uh, you? You don't have the voice going. Turn left. Yeah. Turn right. Why, why would you not have that? 
Because it, oh, it's annoying. Bugs us. Yeah, but I if don't you like don't know where you're going, it's better than looking down at the screen all the time, especially on a sunny day, because those screens are very difficult to see in, on a sunny day. Yeah, I will, I will, I will tell you exactly. Really. I will tell you exactly why. So, I, the only music player I've got is this really, really, really old iPod that doesn't have any Bluetooth. So I've tried a few little adapters and they didn't work. And then I realized that I could put all of my music onto my Garmin unit, and then the Garmin would transmit into my Bluetooth, you know, senior unit, and I'm good to go. Quite honestly, and again, we're all different. I have my uh, Garmin unit placed a little bit higher than most, so I am not looking down. I just I just roll my eyes down. I can see it. I can roll into, I can zoom in and out from the um, rolling control mechanism on the left-hand grip, so I haven't got to lean forwards. Um, and I just was being driven wild by this robotic voice. Turn left, turn right, recalculating, make a U-turn. You know what? I'm a big boy. I can read, I can write, and I can look at a map, and I don't need to be told you've got a turn coming up in 200 meters. Because guess what? If I miss it, I'll just do a U-turn, and I can work it all out. And with the Garmin voice, it prioritizes over everything. So if Lisa and I were having an important conversation um, going through a city or a town, if the Garmin comes on, then if you're having a phone call, you're listening to music, or if I'm talking to Lisa, all that gets cut to listen to this uh, off-road recalculating, you could have a left turn coming up. And so it was actually getting really annoying. I then spent two months trying to work out how to turn the voice off. I went through <laughs> every function and every feature until finally I said, when we went back to LA to see Dan, Dan, who do I have to kiss or kill to tell me how to turn this voice off? And I'd been through every menu, every sub-menu. And he went, oh, it's like this. And he went into the menu setting. Oh, sorry, the, sorry into volume. the volume setting. Yeah. And under volume, you have you have the ability to turn it off. And what's it doing under volume? <laughs> anyway, it meant it meant that I could now listen but, to my music uninterrupted and just, you know, sing and along. Also, I, I I don't like I, it's my first time that I've ever had a GPS. I've never had one. So there was an option to have one on the new bike. So quite literally, I've only had a GPS for 11 months. Um, and I've never really felt the need to have one You're before. You're so old school. I am old school. I like a map and I carry a they compass. They get wet. You, just you know, the, the thing with the map, though, is is it makes you use your brain. The thing with the GPS is you tend to just sit there and be led somewhere, not, not even knowing yes. where you're going. I mean, I do it when I use my GPS. A map gives you a sense of scale and perspective. This goes back to when we, when we set out on this yeah. journey. We put, we put a map on the wall and people are saying to us now, why didn't you use Google Maps to plan your route around the world? Mm. Well, A, Google Maps wasn't around, but B, Google Maps and looking at a screen, no matter how big the screen is, does not give you this sense of perspective and scale. And going back to the GPS thing, we've noticed a couple of times that with, with a map and a bit of awareness and with the voice thing turned off, um, if you have the, the GPS programmed to get you through a suburb or a city or a town, it's typically the shortest or the fastest way. And you do very blindly just go left, right, left, right. And it is very easy to be given this false sense of security when actually, when actual fact in certain towns or cities and in certain countries, yeah, these are areas that perhaps you shouldn't be driving into at night. But because you're just following this left-right turn, you just presume you're going to get to your destination and, and well and 
you're just following this left, right, left, right, making you turn, go on the highway, as opposed to, as you said, using your brain and suddenly looking up and going, you know what? I don't think I should be in this area. I may take a different route. And uh... Often I don't actually put a route in. I just have it up as a moving map. Mm, I do that, and yeah. I then have a map in front of me on, on the tank bag. Um, yeah, it's how I prefer it. You guys have mentioned uh, off-road riding several times there. I think we were talking about tire size and, and touching the ground and whatnot. How much off-road riding are you doing? Still as much as we can find. Obviously, we've been restricted uh, on the East Coast because we've had to uh, be places. Um, and I think we're a bit restricted going down to Key West, aren't we? Otherwise, we'd be swimming. Um, <laughs> you so- swim there, I don't think. <laughs> no, no, I know. Um, we had to do a little bit of off-road riding down to Orlando because, of course, we came through North Carolina, South Carolina, um, Virginia, to get here, and they had obviously Matthew the hurricane. Um, the night we arrived in Orlando, we turned on the news to see that we'd actually used the 40 and part of the 95 to get here. And when we turned on the news and the TV here, the flooding had come up and they'd closed they'd, they'd, they were, they'd actually closed the road literally behind us. I'm not sure how many minutes or how many hours. Um, and there were a couple of detours to get around trees. That and was that's the most one, fun. And that's one of the reasons. I mean, we, we had three months in Baja, and that was pretty much all off-road. I mean, there was obviously some that wasn't, but... Really good fun, that was. Road riding just um, doesn't do it for us. Are you us. talking about dirt road or like serious off-road stuff? Oh, we, we, ended, we, we ended up going to Baja primarily to find out what the limits of us and the new bikes were. And we found them. Uh, I remember one day was 72 (laughs) miles, was it 62 miles, just a very deep, soft sand sand and silt in a riverbed. And that was going from um, San Fran Mosquito, as I call it. San Francisquito. Across to Guero Negro. Yeah, that was fun. And that Ah. was just riverbed, riverbed. Yeah. We ended up hooking up with a guy on a 520 EXE KTM. And he looked at the weight we were carrying and we said, look, we're here to find out what the limits of the bikes are. And, and they we, handled it beautifully. Yeah. It, it was fantastic. Um, but also when um, up in... Uh, we like being challenged, basically. the Yukon in Canada and obviously Alaska, um, we did the whole road. That's all gravel and sometimes slushy, slippy mud. And um, there really wasn't anything tough about not, it. Not tough, really. Um, and then there was a Top of the World Highway. And so we, we've done... We've done as much as we possibly can. We had to get cut across Canada a lot, lot faster than we wanted to because we were um, we were running out of time to be oh, able to... Oh, were you going to mention the thing? We were running out of time uh, to reach um, uh, the East Coast for the for the rallies and then this show that well, we've just we done. Being, and we were being pushed out by the snow. And the snow would come in, yeah. So it was about time for us to make a move. Um, so that's another thing that I want to do is to actually go up into Canada again Um and do a lot more off-road riding. I mean, we've not even hit uh, Labrador Way or anything on on the east side, really, of what's, Canada, what's apart the, from Toronto. What's the northern route you were talking about wanting to do? Oh, I want to go up to, um, and do the Dempster um, because they're also opening it up. So when you go up to – An all-year-round um, road. Inuvik or Inuvik, I don't know how it's emphasized there. There's a a, a place um, which is a very very long name which I I can't um, pronounce, uh, which is only open from Inuvik up further north um, as a winter road. Taktiaktak. That sounds about it. I'm impressed. Taktiak. Taktiaktak. Yeah. yeah. They never. They don't call it that. They call it 
Tuck. Tuck. Yeah. Yeah. And they are building a new four-year road. It's going to be a gravel road, and they were hoping that it would be open in 2018, but there's a possibility it'll be open next year. Um, so I want to do that. I think that would be there really good fun. There is so much spectacular riding up there, off-road riding to be done. I mean, it's just it, just an adventure playground. Let me ask you some some quick questions, just your take on these things. I'm going to give you about four or five different things here. Okay. okay. What is your take on the first one, preparation for trip planning? Most people over plan, over prep. Yes, but there has got to be some planning. Um, Get a map. Get offline. Get a paper map. Set a date and tell your friends and family, then you're committed. Actually use the home office or the state department sites, not for the warnings, because that's what they've got to do. Don't go anywhere. But just (laughs) use them for... The information as to what paperwork you need, uh, vaccinations you might need, and the the, um, borders that are open for international crossings. Because not every border that is shown um, online or on the map is open to international crossings. So be, be sensible. Plan and prep as much as you can do without it becoming this all-consuming entity. And just be aware of one key factor, that as long as you set a date and do tell friends and family because it helps commit you, just be aware that nobody puts their key in their ignition, hits first gear and sets out from home ever feeling ready. Mm. I remember you mentioning the last time we talked about uh, meeting someone in Australia, I believe, who asked Lisa about the trip you were doing because you guys went the longest route, I guess it was, across Australia. Yeah, north, southwest. Right, and and the guy was asking how long you prepared for because he'd been preparing for over two years and figured he had another six months to go or something like that. And you said, you have 40 memory, I think. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's right. He looked so demoralized after Lisa had given them this answer. I think we've probably got a bit of the knack by now, though, haven't we? No, you've only only planned one trip. I mean, you guys that experience at planning trips. <laughs> really, I mean, God, think about so it. Should you really though. be giving advice? <laughs> no, no. We just go. Hang on. Whilst you're ask, asking, we're, we're googling all these answers. They aren't. They're not asked. We're just taking the yeah. internet. What's the next question then? Travel mindset. Um, try to try to leave preconceived ideas behind. There are. You'll go to a couple of countries, or you'll, you'll go to a couple of regions even if you, if it's in your own country um but try to leave those stereotypes behind try to leave expectations behind because realistically expectations are just there to disappoint you mm. go with an open mind go with an yeah. open heart and, and and enjoy each second and when you're out on the road do do yourself do yourself a favor give yourself the privilege of spending five seconds five minutes or five hours in the moment because once you're out on the road, you know what? Chances are you've worked really damn hard to get there. You've taken all the right choices. Yeah, you've got be- your bike. You've, pl- you've planned. You've prepped. You've made sacrifices and commitments. Um, just pat yourself on the back. Don't worry about the future. Just go, hey, I'm here. I deserve this. I've made it happen and enjoy it. And don't be in too much of a, of a rush. Um, it's, it's very important 
to possibly realize and, and be flexible on the road and go, do you know what? I've bitten off more than I can chew. I have maybe six months on the road for this trip or longer if you're lucky and go, I'm not going to get where I thought I would. So let's just slow up and reduce where I'm going to be going, reduce my mileage. Maybe I won't, I'll miss the last three countries that I always wanted to get a to. Flex, a flexible mindset is the best tool that you can live home with. Yeah, definitely. I was going to ask you about trip length, but honestly, I don't think you guys are qualified to answer that question. <laughs> so we're just going to skip by that one and go on with, this is what I'm really curious about, people. Are they really nice? Are they really nice everywhere you go? And you already and, and, know the answer. And because everybody you have on this show is going to give you the same answer. And do um, you have to go overseas to experience it? I mean, are no. people nice at home? Yeah. I mean, we, we were talking recently, and um, again, this was at the Overland Expo, and there was a couple of conversations that were being had as to, you know, Basically, it was it was an American guy who was basically just saying, oh, you know, I don't understand my my countrymen. They don't go overseas. They don't do this and blah, blah, blah. And he looked to Lisa and myself to, to back him up. He was expecting us to go, yeah, guys, you know, just get out across the border. And I think we surprised him by saying, you know what, though, it's totally understandable. You have you have one of the most diverse countries in the world where in a single week you can be in rainforest and desert you can be 200 feet below sea level or you can be climbing Pikes Peak. The level of diversity and diverse culture in the USA is almost without measure. But it's also, There's so much to do here. It's also you don't need to leave your continent. I'm feeling very articulate You right are, now. aren't you? Well, go go the, away. The voice is still working. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't need to leave the continent. And we've been trying to say to people that you can go down into Baja – if you don't want to go into mainland Mexico, although we do love mainland Mexico, but you can go into Baja and you can go all the way through the U.S. Every state is like an individual country. You've got Canada. I mean, my God, the Yukon. It is stunning. And then you're in Alaska. We saw, we saw more wildlife in Yukon than we did Alaska. Yeah. And then you're in Alaska and that is stunning too. So you've got – I mean, there's massive – landmass where you can play. Whereas and we've said it a thousand times before, the very best conversation starter in the world is you rolling up on a bike. Yeah. Because they are the ultimate conversation starters. But the... Uh, where are you going? going where are you coming from? Going back to the thing with people, uh, people are generally interested and, and excited when, when they see us arrive. I mean, people do tend and to proud, love bikes. And they're, of, and they're proud of where they live. Yeah. They want to share with you their history and, and their local cultures and their food and their cuisine, even if it's in a single country, let alone yeah. you know, being atypical of the people and of the I world. And I also say that if you, you give out... You get back. You get back. So if you give out an attitude or you give out an aura of suspicion or... Distrust. Anger or... Hostility. Um, that's exactly what you're going to get back. But if you're relaxed... And I know it's very difficult uh, coming from the societies that we do, you know, the high pressure, the, the jobs, the, you've always got to be on your toes and, and, and being better than the person next to you in the kiosk so that you can actually be, you know, top-notch dog in your, in your job. It's, and there's this high pressure. Just try to take that away when you, you get on the road. And I know it's a difficult thing initially. And don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, shit will happen. It'll sort itself out. Just be 
what is it? Just be cool, guys. Just relax. You really don't do that accent very well. I don't. I don't. No. no. Just be relaxed and carry on. Yeah. <laughs> now, the one thing that I want to talk to you guys about before we wrap things up is you guys have a dirty book coming out um, yeah. very soon. And, you know, now, <laughs> it, you know this is a clean show. It, it's a clean show. So let's just be careful here. But this <laughs> this dirty book, can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, I think we live fairly healthily on the road and, and I've very well. always enjoyed cooking. And for me, that's another part of the, the, the trip, going out, experiencing the food and the local communities, wandering around the markets. The flavors, the smells, that. the spices. Yeah. And I suddenly started to think that a lot of people don't enjoy cooking even even when they're at home with a full kitchen. Or like me, they're just not very good at it. Or I had a lot of questions about, so do you take the military style? Um, ready meals. Ready meals. And that always made me go, um, for 13 years, I'd be dead. Um, or we'd be carrying a gigantic truck behind us. Yeah. Um, I well, mean, so what's the book about? It's about so I think I left out the word dining. Sorry about that. Um, you did. That's fine. No, I, actually, I love it. We like your book title so better. Are we? <laughs> the so dirty book. Are we awesome. talking about the dirty dining book of motorcycle trips, or are we just talking about general cookbook here? It's a general uh, cookbook. It's an adventure. No, it's, it's no, it's ad- not. It's an adventure cookbook. It's an adventure cookbook. So its full title is "Dirty Dining: An Adventurous Cookbook." How to make adventure taste better is the strap line. Um, and Simon and I eat very well. We keep ourselves very fit on the road but you uh, do with cook the food. Really well. And I wanted to pass on some of the tricks and tips that I've learned uh, whilst living on the road and living and cooking out of a, a, a one pannier. Um, especially for 13 especially years. in countries where, you know, basic ingredients are really tough to find. Um, I mean, the, the synopsis, the idea behind the book is, is really, really simple. We were going to talk, we were going to call the book How to Make Nasty Shit Taste Nice. And Amazon said, no, not really too keen on that. <laughs> the, I, the principle is really simple. How to take very basic ingredients that you can pretty much find anywhere in, in the majority of the countries we've been through. And along with a few stock ingredients that Lisa and I genuinely carry with us. How to eat like kings, and I know that sounds like a pitch, but whereas, whereas perhaps you and I, Jim, would I'll look at these ingredients and go, "Well, there's a sandwich." Lisa has this incredible <laughs> ability to generate a meal, um, and taking taking the information and the experience that she now takes for granted, we put together the book. It has 27 recipes. Each book comes with a, a great piece of story and some wonderful imagery about when we've cooked it. And when I say we, I mean Lisa. But it's also not about the country, so I haven't cooked Thai green curry in Thailand. I cooked a Thai green vegetable curry on the border between Pakistan and India because I was able Spanish to get tortilla the in elements. Nepal. Yeah, Spanish tortilla in Nepal. Um, so it's, it's not a country specific. It's, it's, not, it's not like Alan Carl's book, which is a gorgeous book, but it's a very much a, a gourmet cookbook uh, taking, taking flavors from around the world. This is taking ingredients that we can carry with us, whether you're in a four by four, whether you're in a backpack, whether you are uh, perhaps just living on a, on a budget in the USA or 
on a motorcycle and taking very simple ingredients and really turning them into something uh, a little more than just the base, basic meal. You see, also, I, th- I think this is really important for us as riders because if you look around at the people you ride with or you bump into, people eat pretty simple on motorcycles because they feel they don't have any options. I mean, it's usually yeah, it's a lot of times, so yeah, it's just prepackaged stuff, you know, open it up and heat it up, not realizing that maybe there's another option. Yeah. We, we just had exactly this. We were... Um, we were camped out over the Overland Expo. We were obviously we're all in a gigantic field. There's there's twenty or thirty guys camped around us. And in the evening, you you know, you set a campfire and you talk about the dead and you catch up and you have a couple of drinks. And the amount of people that would wander over and they've got their soup and their noodles and you bring your meal to the to the campfire. And so there's Lisa and I with our, you know, stainless steel pots and pans like everybody else. And the amount of people that said, uh, what are you eating? And Lisa, two nights in a row, did this awesome beef curry with rice and a couple of poppadoms on the side. And the guy said, oh, did you drive into town and get that? And Lisa went, no, I've just, just cooked this. He went, do you, this look on his face, he said, do you eat this well all the time? And Lisa went, um, yeah. And he was shocked. It's basically trying to put across that it's not a complicated process. It's taken about two years to complete the book because I hadn't actually realized. It is all us. How well, hang, How hang on a second. Sorry, you just said it's all us, but but Simon, you don't cook. And where, what what did you do to this book anyway? What did you do? What was your input? Uh, glad think, you glad you asked. I think <laughs> I'll have to answer that. Um, he tested. He was the first tester of all of my recipes in in not eating them because he's eaten them over the years many times, but in cooking them. So that was the first thing because okay, I take I what for granted. And he would go, well, what do I do now? And I'm like, well, it's common sense. And he'd go, but it's not. So he made me rewrite a lot of the recipes. We then, I then cooked them and Simon would take photos. So every photograph in the book. Every word, every photograph, every image, every recipe, every layout page. It's just been me and Lisa. They, yeah. these, these, these haven't gone to a studio. Nobody has covered them in hairspray and, and lit them perfectly. Literally, <laughs> we've cooked them on the road. I've thrown them in the bowl and they've been on the grass or the sand or whatever in their bowls. And Simon's taking photographs with me going behind him. Hurry up. It's getting cold. We've got to eat it. <laughs> there's, there's no corners. I mean, this really has been a labor of love for two years. And we thought it was going to be a nice, simple project and it, it – it really has taken a lot of investment well, on all kidding aside, it's, it's really good that you had Simon test it because that's what always runs through my mind when I think of recipes and things like that. There's certain people who just don't like to cook. You know, they figure they can't do it. Well, he was my first tester, and then I actually sent it every out recipe. to a variety, every recipe out to a variety of people. And if one person came back and went, I had a little problem here, I'd send out that recipe to one of the other uh, testers, and they would come back. Um, and all in all, I think I had... But the testers, um, the testers were also friends ranging from guys who just live in a man cave and eat sandwiches to professional chefs. Yes, I've had also a professional mm. chef go through, um, a housewife, another adventure rider, a businesswoman who hardly had any time to 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 make a sandwich, let alone a meal. Um, and so such a, a cross section of people tested. Um, and I'm glad I did that because all of them came up with little comments that maybe I never thought of because I really do love cooking. And you take, um, and you take your skill for granted. Yeah. And so um, and it's got a little uh, description as to you know, why I cooked it in a certain place and the, and the, uh, the members that it brings back. So each, each one has a almost like a 
a flashback in time. But the book is, I mean, the, the, we, we put a lot of passion into the book. So, I mean, you're going to get a lot of adventure writers that have been following us on the website who I know will buy the book just because, quite frankly, it's it's beautiful. We've put some some great photographs in that haven't been seen before. A few have. Um, but we want it to be used. It really has been a case of taking the book out and traveling with it and using it as opposed to something just that sits on the shelf and looks pretty. But it so will do both. I'm, I'm hoping, the plan is, if we can get it all done, that it's going to be available uh, in time for Christmas. And it'll obviously be on our To Ride the World website, but it's also got its own uh, Facebook page. Um, and... It's got its own Instagram as well. And I want to be putting up little tasters and teasers and sneak peeks, and sneak peeks as the time goes on. The book is with the publishers right now going through its last reviews. And then it'll be sent out to a number of uh, a number of friends and colleagues around the world. And we'll be asking them just to say a few nice words or provide some criticism or feedback in terms of what, if anything, needs to be changed, and then hopefully it'll get a press. Well, it'll, it's had the technical term, darling. I know this now. When you say called, darling, are you talking to me or Jim? I'm talking to Jim, actually. <laughs> um, it's called an advanced reader copy, as I'm sure you know. And the advanced reader copy is going to go out to a variety of magazines and people within the industry. Um, and hopefully that it'll come back as very positive. Hopefully, it's it's been a, it's been a long process and a steep learning curve. It has. But it's been fun. Yeah. I'm very proud of it. Well, it sounds like you're going about it right. I mean, you've you've certainly went to other people for input, which is I think so important with something like this. But you're saying it's going to be available on your website. But you mentioned Amazon earlier. Will it be on Amazon as well? Yes, that's the intention. I think it's yeah. going to be on. Quite, it'll be available through quite a few um, online retailers. Um, I mean, un, until we know how the book's received and whether people like it, and once once. Once units begin begin to move and we can begin to get some sales through, that will probably dictate um, a more long-term plan in terms of how many we get printed and whether we do hard copies only or whether we stay online. All that's to come. Yes. So I'm also hoping that we'll uh, get the e-format as well. Um, so there's still kind of a, a bit more work to do, but it's a, it's our first book. We want to turn it into um, an app so people can also just put it on their phone and take it out with them. And so, you know, we have this idea where there'll be an app created whereby what will happen is you'll you'll type into the phone, into the app, hey, these are the ingredients I've got. And it'll look at the app, our app, and say, hey, well, guess what? Um, you've got all the ingredients for this meal, this meal, this meal, or you haven't got the right ingredients, but you ha- if you have this, then you can make this. And that's our, that's our plan because not everybody wants to take a book with them. But most books actually get, most hard copy books get bought today as gifts. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. It's the first of many. I have eight more on the go. Not uh, cookbooks like this one. Um, but well, eight, you have almost um, finished the second cookbook too. Um, I have almost finished the second cookbook, Eight more yeah. books? You, you have eight more books you're actually working on right now? Yeah. Yes. Wow. That's a, that's a I, huge – how do you sort that? I know. Well, I ha- my brain is like that. And it, it flits between one thing to another thing. And I'll wake up at 2 a.m. and I'll go, ooh, that's good. And I'll, I'll jot something down and um, – it, it, it's it's how I like to work. I, I can't work on one project. Uh, and it's all sorts of different elements. It's not yet our travel book. That, that will come. Um, it's a variety of other scenarios for, Things uh, that uh, we adventure, take for granted. adventurers that I think we take for granted. And people are always like, wow. I and they finally convinced us to write some of this stuff down yeah. and put it out because 
they've said, look, guys, you've been doing this for so long. You just think this is normal. The information you have in your head, you take for granted. Um, this is stuff that I didn't know about until you told me. I haven't read it in a book and I haven't been to a website that's got this. You should be sharing this. Via- and so that's our intention yeah. to, to, to do that through a variety of, of different books. So how much longer are you guys going to be on the road? Two years. Simon and Lisa, it's been great to talk to you. And I'm sure we could talk for hours. Jim, it's been been our pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. I was speaking with Lisa and Simon Thomas from their hotel room en route to more of their adventure. You can find out more about Lisa and Simon by visiting their website, toridetheworld.com. And that's with the number two at the start of it. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They have 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's www.CyclePump.com. Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and you, the listener. Hey, if you want to do something for the show, there's a couple of things you can do. You can drop by our Facebook page and like it if you haven't already. And you can drop by our website and click on the donate button. We've set it up as a model of uh, a bit of advertising and some donations to help fill all the gaps here at Adventure Rider Radio. And we still have some gaps. So if you drop by the website and click on the donate button, we'd certainly appreciate it. Anything $10 or more will get you a sticker sent back at you in the mail. Our way of saying thanks. And there's some other things as you go up in value. Hey, and don't forget, we got another show called ARR Raw, also free to listen, same as this one, just drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio, and click on the raw button. You have to subscribe separately. It comes different than this show, packaged in a different feed. So drop by the website and check that out. Well, I guess that wraps things up. Now it's time to get it there and ride your bike. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. See you next week. This is Petra. And this is Anders. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 